Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to ALR PRA Incorporated's weekly law practice management radio program. ALR PRA Incorporated is a national law practice management agency with offices in DuPage County, Illinois, and Orange County, California. We are a company run by lawyers for lawyers who want the tips, tools, and services to help them spend more time practicing law and less time worrying about the business. We specialize in providing in-house and subcontracted law practice management services through our two main divisions, pleading drafter and law publicist. Our operations serve the greater suburban regions in and around Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. Our pleading drafter division focuses on court call coverage, contract, and permanent attorney and staff placement. Our pleading drafter services include file scanning audits and other collateral functions of law firm production and work product. We also have an eBay store to help firms sell gently used office equipment. Our law publicist division focuses on law firm marketing, branding, and image consulting. Public relations is also a very important aspect for law firms today, and it's important that ALRPRA has direct lines to media outlets. Our event planning options also include studio quality video production, and our monthly communication services include blog and newsletter writing, as well as full social media administration. Additionally, the law publicist on point is the ALRPRA monthly production publication featuring a variety of articles and resources to help law firms maximize their law practice management systems and grow their law firms. Our circulation to thousands of firms offers innovative opportunities for legal professionals to share information and generate new business. We are always looking for great content and advertisers for our Illinois and California editions of the On Point. Today is Thursday, January 28, 2010, and I'm your host, Nick Augustine. I am here with our guests, Justice Ann Jorgensen and Mary Shostak, who are here today to talk a little bit about the election uh, coming up and the primaries relevant to the uh, 2nd District Illinois Appellate Court. Before we begin, we appreciate the opportunity to remind you that we broadcast every Thursday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern, which is also 3 p.m. Central and 1 p.m. Pacific time. We have a great show for you this afternoon, and we will open up for callers 30 minutes from now. Please be sure to email your questions, if you have any, to info, that's I-N-F-O, at A-L-R-P-R-A.com. Again, info at A-L-R-P-R-A.com. Or please call in by dialing area code 917-889-9732 and press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. The telephone number again is area code 917-889-9732 and option 1 to be placed in the queue. Now by a little way of biographical background, before we uh, say hello to our guests, let me tell you a little bit about, about each of them. Uh, Ann Jorgensen is here. She currently sits on the Appellate Court 2nd District in Elgin, Illinois. She was appointed by the Illinois Supreme Court in July of 2008 to fill the vacancy of Justice Tom Callum and will seek re-election to remain in her current seat of the Appellate Court as a Republican candidate in the February 2010 primary election and the November 2010 general election. We also have Justice Mary Shostak, who was appointed to the Illinois Appellate Court 2nd District on August 2008 by the Illinois Supreme Court. Sitting in three judge panels, the Appellate Court reviews rulings and verdicts in cases in 13 counties, 
in northern Illinois and hears arguments in the appellate court in Elgin and writes written opinions on the matters. Hello today to uh, Justice Ann Jorgensen and Justice Mary Shostak. Hello, Nick. How are you? Glad to be here. All right. Um, as we go, we are going to just ask some general questions about the upcoming February primary election and the uh, November general election so that our callers uh, and folks out there have a better idea of what the appellate court does, how the justices uh, at the appellate court function, what types of things are, are, are of interest to, to the listening public out there. So um, I'll first uh, just start out um, by asking each of you a little bit about yourselves. Um, Justice Jorgensen, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I've been a judge here, or was a judge here in DuPage County for 19 years. I sat on the trial court and did, heard some civil cases when I was young in my career. And then when I was elected as a circuit judge, I began to hear criminal cases and sat in our felony division. In, in that division, you hear the most serious criminal charges that are filed in DuPage County. I was the presiding judge of that division for many years, presided over our grand jury proceedings, and uh, I also had an opportunity to start our drug court. That's a court where we take uh, nonviolent drug-addicted offenders and put them in a very structured, highly supervised program, help them achieve their sobriety, beat their addiction, and hopefully restore them permanently as productive citizens. And that program was, of course, with the cooperation of our state's attorney and our Department of Probation and Court Services. And then in um, 2005, I acted as the chief judge for DuPage County. I served there until my appointment to the appellate court, as you've indicated, in 2008. How long did you say? How long have you been a judge again? We're, we're on the on the state court level, you said. Nineteen you, years. Nineteen years. And the trial court level, and then about a year and a half now on the appellate court. So you were in uh, several different courtrooms then on the in the trial court as a trial I was. court judge. Mm -hmm. um, what rotations did you have? I did um, some civil work. I also supervised our mandatory arbitration program, which takes a small dollar amount uh, civil cases, and under Supreme Court w rule, they mandatorily must go through an arbitration process. And that allows people who are involved in a civil suit for money damages to bypass traditional litigation. It's much quicker, much less costly, and if the case is resolved by way of arbitration, the case is finished and it's outright dismissed or a judgment is entered according to the agreement of the parties. If one or both parties is unsatisfied with the arbitration process, they re-enter traditional litigation and proceed to uh, a trial. And then, of course, I did the criminal cases for oh, about 11 years. Okay. All right. And um, Mary Shostak, how are you today? Good. And you? Good. Good. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I came to Illinois in 1987. I was born and raised in a small town in western Pennsylvania called Newcastle. I'm the daughter of an Italian immigrant and um, one of six children, the first in my family to go to college, certainly the only one to go to law school. And um, I met my husband in law school in Ohio. He was from this area um, near Deerfield, Illinois. So after a year practicing in Pittsburgh, um, with a private firm and as a part-time public defender, he convinced me to come to Illinois. So we got married and I moved to Illinois. And when I came to Illinois, I began with the Lake, or the Lake County State's Attorney's Office. So I was a prosecutor 
for 10 years in the state's attorney's office um, in Lake County. While at the state's attorney's office, I prosecuted everything from traffic, misdemeanor, all the way up to uh, major felony cases, murder. Um, I developed somewhat of a niche for myself in the state's attorney's office, prosecuting mostly child sexual abuse and sexual assault cases. I supervised uh, many divisions there in the state's attorney's office, including the juvenile division, um, the Children's Advocacy Center, where we interviewed the children of sexual abuse and sexual assault. And when I left the office, I was the chief of special investigation. So I stayed in the state's attorney's office for 10 years, and then in 1998, I was appointed as an associate judge in Lake County. Um, an associate judge in, in the state of Illinois are the judges that are appointed by the circuit court judge. Circuit court judges are elected, associate, or appointed. So I sat as an associate judge for two years before um, being appointed and running as a circuit court judge. So I sat in the trial court in Lake County for 10 years. Like Ann, I did just about everything on the trial court bench in Lake County. Um, I sat in the domestic violence division um, as an associate. And then when I became a circuit judge, I sat in the felony division hearing major felony cases, criminal cases that are of the most serious nature, murder, rape, arson, robbery. Um, and I sat in that division for about four, four and a half years. And then an opening came in the probate court. And I decided I was going to try the probate division, um, something I never did before, but something that I really loved. And I sat in the probate court for about two and a half years. And our probate court also... Um, shared some time with the arbitration division, and so I was the supervising judge of both probate and arbitration, and Ann somewhat explained to you what arbitration is. Um, after being in the probate court, I was asked to uh, take a call in the civil division, the law division, to hear um, complex civil matters, which I did, and I became the presiding judge or the supervising judge of the law division. I sat there um, until I received a call from the Supreme Court in August of 08, asking me if I would like an appointment to the appellate court. So I've been on the bench about 11 and a half years, Nick, um, 10 years on the trial court and about a year and a half on the appellate court. Wow, that's an impressive background. Um, it's, it's interesting the journeys that, that people take, um, you know, going through their legal career. Did either of you uh, aspire to uh, hold a role as a, as a judge when you were first getting going in your legal careers? I think I did. And you know, I started out as a as a prosecutor here in DuPage County, and uh, at that time, you know, you you watch judges and you learn so much from your colleagues, of course, and as fellow prosecutors, and you learn a lot from the judges you appear in front of. And and I did. I always wanted to do what they did, and have an opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. Yeah, I think when you're a young attorney and you're impressionable. You really look up to the judges, and, and I think that um, that encouraged me really to become a judge. But I think in law school, I really decided that that's where I wanted my path to take me. Did you uh, think at that time that you may may have ascended to uh, appellate court justice, or no? <laughs> Wasn't no. it no, no? Uh, at any point in your judicial career, did that what did what it did become something that you looked at, or well, you know the. Um, Appellate court terms of office are, is a 10-year term, so there are not um, frequent opportunities to move into the appellate court. 
Uh, vacancies occur when someone retires uh, or otherwise leaves office in the appellate court. And there really isn't a lot of change or movement in the court, which is why it is so critically important that your viewers uh, do their homework and cast a vote uh, to fill these two positions with who they feel is the most qualified based on experience and integrity. So for that reason, it's not something you think about because there just aren't a lot of occasions where, that, uh, where a vacancy occurs. In fact, I can't remember uh, the last time that there were two vacancies on the appellate court at the same time. Right, and, and for the listeners, Ann and I aren't running against right. each other. She's running for the vacancy of Tom Callum. I'm running for the vacancy of Barbara Giller and Johnson. So as Ann said, it is unusual to have these two vacancies open at the same time. But, but we talked about our backgrounds, and you said, wow, what an interesting background. And that background or that broad base of experience is so extremely important for someone sitting on the appellate court because at the appellate court, we hear every type of case that comes out of the trial court. So if you had a DUI, Nick, God forbid, um, and you didn't like the way the trial court ruled, that, would, that appeal would come to us at the appellate court. If you had a medical malpractice case that you didn't like the way that case went and you appeal it, that comes to the appellate court. If you had a divorce case, uh, again, so we hear every type of case at the appellate court. So it's extremely important that whomever it is that's sitting on the appellate court have that broad basic of experience, not only as a lawyer, but as a judge. So it's an extremely important position, and as Ann said, it's a 10-year term. It's a long time. I think it's also critically important that whoever serve um, or run for these positions have a background in criminal law because over half of the cases that we hear on an annual basis are criminal cases. And um, that's just a body of law that's very difficult to learn on the job. So I think it's important, uh, ideally, that you have tried those cases, whether it's as a prosecutor, public defender, private attorney, or both, uh, and also that you presided over those cases as a judge because, again, it is such a large portion of the work that we do uh, day in and day out. I have another question about the the phone call you mentioned uh, from from the Supreme Court. How how did how did it happen? Um, and let me first, by way of background, ask: Did you have to at some point uh, put your name on a list that you would be considered? Uh, did you have to make it make yourself available? Um, did the phone call just come? You were in traffic, and the Supreme Court's on the phone and asked you if you wanted to be, uh, you know. Take this seat. Uh, you know, how does this how does this happen, and how did you each react to it, Mary? If you well, like, or um, I'll tell you how it happened for me. I uh, was the chief judge at that time, and uh, I would periodically meet with Justice Thomas, who is the Supreme Court justice from the Second District, to talk to him on behalf of the circuit of some of the needs that we had, some of the things that we wanted to try, pilot programs, et cetera, to get his uh, authority and approval to do certain things. And it was at the end of one of those meetings, he said, "All right." Now that we've discussed what, what's on your agenda, let me tell you what's on my agenda. And he asked me, he said that one of the judges was going to be retiring uh, in July. And would I consider uh, the appointments uh, that the Supreme Court would consider favorably my application should I choose to submit one? And uh, frankly, I, I told him that I wanted to think about it, talk to my family about it. And I, obviously, I subsequently uh, formally applied for the position and was appointed to fill out the term of town calendar. And that's why I'm running for his 
vacancy, Tom Callum's vacancy. Very good, very good. Mary, what about and you? Similarly, um, I had received a telephone call from Justice Thomas indicating that there was a retirement and would I be interested in submitting my application. And again, I said the same thing, well, let me talk, talk it over with my husband. And I did, and the next day I submitted, um, filled out the application and received a telephone call not that long thereafter that I received the appointment. Now, what happened to each of your positions that you were currently uh, filling and running? Um, you know, what, was the, what was the process? Well, th those positions are up for election at this time also, mm -hmm. the trial court positions. So the Supreme Court filled our vacancies by an appointment. Now, those individuals have to run right. in order to keep their seats for our vacancies. Right. Um, any vacancy that occurs in the Supreme Court, Appellate Court, or Circuit Court, that vacancy is filled, because that's an elected position, that is filled by the Illinois Supreme Court by appointment. And if that person who is appointed wishes to remain, they have to run for election. Now, in, the, uh, in some cases, someone takes the appointment to the appellate court or the circuit court, but chooses not to run, and it becomes what's called an open seat, then other people can, uh, can run for it. Somebody can challenge the appointed candidate, too, don't get me wrong. Right. If there's a vacancy on the associate level, where an associate judge retires, that position is filled by the elected circuit judges. They appoint. One thing that I've noticed, uh, just with speaking with young attorneys and, and people who have, you know, are you know younger uh, in the game, um, not everyone is aware of how someone becomes a judge here in Illinois uh, at the state court level, or mm -hmm. um, you know, are moving forward. Do you have any pointers or tips or suggestions if someone's considering a potential judicial career in their future? Well, you know, I think I think that. Um, getting active, becoming active in your legal community is a very important way um, because oftentimes, um, especially with an associate position, your peers rate you um, when you put your name in for a, an associate position. And so it's good to get, get them to know you. It's also extremely important to work at your career, work at your profession and become the best lawyer that you can be become honest, hardworking, uh, have the highest level of integrity, and all of those are extremely important in a judgeship. So I would just tell those young individuals, work hard on your career, be the best that you can be, and get, to, get very active in your legal community, in your bar association. I think, too, you have to remember, it as, a, as an application for an associate judge, the people who are going to make that determination are the circuit judges you appear in front of. So theoretically, every time you appear in front of a circuit judge who may be voting on you at some time, it's an audition. It's an interview. Um, how prepared were you? How um, much did you know about your case? What kind of client control do you have? How do you conduct yourself? Are you honest, fair? Do you make honest representations to the court at all times? You know, certainly never compromising your attorney-client, but, you know, all of those things are what uh, are some of the factors, of course, that circuit judges consider when deciding which candidates are the uh, most appropriate to fill a, an associate judge position. Very good. So uh, to our listening uh, viewers, our listening public, always be uh, on, your, on your toes that um, the next time you appear uh, in court for a hearing, it's probably good to be prepared because that judge may put you on a list later to call you to uh, offer an appointed uh, state and trial court uh, position. So 
Um, that's very, uh, you know, one of the things that we talked about just now is bar association involvement. And uh, I'd like if you could both, you know, tell me a little bit more about how the bar associations are so useful in playing a role in uh, everything that we're discussing here today. Well, I can tell you that um, our local bar association, the DuPage County Bar Association, in the process, for example, of selecting associate judges, they interview every associate judge applicant. They uh, are required, they being the applicants, are required to fill out a very lengthy written application. Um, members of the Judiciary Committee interview all of the references. They usually ask you who were the attorneys that were on the, on the other side of the last five cases you either tried or settled, and they call those attorneys. So those aren't necessarily people that you as an applicant have control over. They do an in-depth, in-depth uh, investigation of every applicant and then send to me as the chief judge the outcome of that investigation or evaluation and all of the candidates are either considered to be highly recommended, recommended, or not presently recommended for the position. I then, as the chief judge, uh, give that to the rest of the circuit judges so that all of us have that information when we begin our interview process and the review of the applicants from our perspective. So that's one of the aspects of why uh, bar association involvement is important and certainly very helpful to judges circuit judges as they interview applicants. But also, that same bar association does that same interview process for judges who are running as circuit court judges and, as, as they did with Ann and I, for judges who are running for the appellate court. So that same lengthy questionnaire comes out and we had to fill that out. Then we had to go before that bar association and there were quite a few around that table. About 35 people. Right. And, and you're getting questions from every one of those people around the table. And they're looking at you after evaluating you after they've received the, the phone calls or they've made phone calls to all these lawyers. Ask them how does she conduct herself in court, how does she treat the litigants, et cetera, et cetera. So, again, we're going back to that integrity that, you know, um, all of those qualities that are important in a judge. In addition to the DuPage County Bar Association, the Illinois State Bar Association also sent us a very lengthy questionnaire and also um, made all those phone calls to lawyers that we may have had that have appeared in front of us. They also called us in for an interview. And again, you looked around that table, there had to be 30, 35 lawyers. And the questions were coming fast and furious at that interview. And they were asking you the questions, and then they rate you either qualified or highly qualified or not qualified. So, um, I, think you know, I think one of the things that's important to appreciate is these are lawyers from all walks of life. Um, from all over the state, too. From, from all over the state, but they are from all areas of practice because, as we indicated, the appellate court handles all kinds of cases except unconstitutional statutes and death penalty cases. So. These committees are representative of lawyers who do divorce, lawyers that do custody work, lawyers that do probate, civil, criminal, uh, juvenile work. So there's, you get a really wide base of opinion that all culminates into the ultimate recommendation of the Bar Association, whether they think you're highly qualified, not qualified, or in the middle. 
Now, what of now? What if any of that information is available as public record, or is it all sealed? It's no, all public it's record. all public. All public record. Right. And Ann and I were both find, found highly recommended by the DuPage Bar and highly qualified by the Illinois State Bar, and um, our candidates were not, or our opponents were not. I think in addition to that, the Illinois State Bar, uh, you know, the the recommendation of being highly qualified was the product of a group of these 35 to 40 lawyers who do an extensive investigation. But the Bar Association also takes upon itself to send out a survey to members of the Bar Association in which they are asked to indicate yes or no whether a candidate meets the requirement of office, does this candidate um, display impartiality, do they have good case management, do they have integrity, uh, do they have the help necessary for the job? And do they display sensitivity to litigants? And um, people are asked to say yes or no. And those, that poll, uh, Mary and I also, we scored very, very high in the m persons that submitted their opinions. And also note that in order to submit an opinion, you have to verify that you, in fact, have an independent knowledge of this judge. You can't just go on somebody's reputation or what someone else has told you. It is your opinion, having seen this judge in court or through some other uh, contact, whether it was settlement negotiations or whatever it might have been. So um, I think that that's very telling, and I think it's, a, it's an important place for voters to look when deciding, you know, what criteria do we use, how do we learn about judges. Um, it would be the same thing as saying, you know, would you allow a doctor who the AMA had found unqualified to operate on your on your child? I think not. So I draw the same analogy. Ma Mary, do you have any other uh, um, you know comments or opinions on um, the bar association, the polling procedure, or anything else you'd like to share? Before well, we move on? well, you know, it's it's difficult for voters to learn a lot about judges. Unlike a gubernatorial candidate or a senator, candidate for the Senate, okay. we can't get up and say, this is our position on this, this is our position on that. The, the code of conduct for judges does not allow us to comment on our positions um, because those are something that we may have to rule on in the future. So the only thing that the voters really have to know about us or can know about us is our qualifications. And I think sometimes voters are at a loss as to where they should go to learn about a judge. We both have websites, and so any judges um, who are running should have a website, and the voters can learn a lot about that judge on the website. But most importantly are the bar polls, as we talked about, and you can get that on the Illinois State Bar Association website, and they will talk about the judge's bar polls, the DuPage County Bar. But also extremely important are the uh, newspaper endorsements. And both Ann and I were um, endorsed by the Chicago Tribune. So those are places where the voters can go and look. Oftentimes, I may get a question on my website or a phone call on my, at my campaign headquarters saying, what's the judge's position on such and such? And you try to tell them, well, gee, she can't take a position. And some voters don't understand that. So it's extremely important that they know that we run on our qualifications. That's what voters need to know. Do you have the qualifications, the credentials that it takes to be a judge or to be an appellate court judge. And I, I would submit to you that both Ann and I do. I find it very valuable to uh, be able to give you both the opportunity to discuss some of these uh, uh, topics and questions because 
I understand that it often likely does come up that people would like to know what's your opinion on this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, should uh, should Illinois do this or, uh, you know, various questions that we hear. Um, the other interesting thing that I find is that the timing element right now with several other um, individuals running for several several uh, seats, uh, uh, whether it be governor, alderman, this, that, uh, there's a lot of a lot of campaigning going on right now. There are a lot of ads on TV. There are a lot of, you know, several, uh, you know, interesting messages coming from all sorts of different, you know, sources. So, uh, you know, how does that affect, uh, um, you know, how does that affect your election position as, you know, as you're going out, uh, going, uh, you know, and discussing, you know, things with the public generally? Um, I guess let me narrowly tailor my question. Well, I think one thing that's interesting is that you'll go to a candidate's forum and many times um, the judicial candidates will be on the same evening or same afternoon as mm -hmm. uh, maybe governor or state representative, even a county board um, race. Mm -hmm. And they get up and say, you know, I'm in favor of this, I'm against that. They take very pointed questions from the audience. Sure. And then we step up and can't answer those questions. And people just don't understand why is that so? Right. The reason is, of course, that the Judicial Code of Ethics precludes us from um, making certain statements and, on the other hand, says that even if you make certain statements, that may put you in a position where then you're obliged to recuse yourself um, from cases involving that topic in the future. So it really is a very catch-22. Mm -hmm. And I, people just really have a difficult time grasping that concept as to why. I think one of the things that you can ex suggest to people is, if you serve on a jury, one of the things that the judge will tell you is, will you follow the law without regard to your personal feelings? Can you separate your personal feelings? Can you, you know, just make a decision here based on what you see in the courtroom? And that's the analogy that I try to make, is that a judge at all times, when they're doing their job, must separate themselves from their personal positions, their personal beliefs, and so my personal beliefs or positions on things are irrelevant to my ability to do my job. Certainly. But people don't understand that. And it's they don't a difficult want to, concept. It is. And they don't want to accept it. And oftentimes they think, well, you're trying to hide something. Okay. Um, you know, you're trying, you're not the type of person who I might want to so tell me more about yourself. So it, it, it is a difficult thing. I think I get a telephone call once every couple of days. Um, about certain positions, and it's very difficult to convince people, hey, you know, she can't talk about that, and she can't give you an opinion on that. Right, because I could see that people who are not aware of the judicial uh, ethical requirements and constraints, people might not understand why a candidate is not, you know, voicing their position, and how do they feel about certain hot topics. Correct. Um, that you just cannot, you're not able to, so again, that really makes it valuable that those uh, the information from the polling uh, procedure and everything everything that was done in hearings and everything prior to um, both of you having your seats in the appellate court is is a uh, you know such a useful a bit of information for those who want to find more about both of your backgrounds and experiences um, so uh, again that may maybe answer some questions for more people why they haven't heard more 
um, right. you know, types of things that they're consistently hearing from some of the other candidates for different positions. So it's really an ethical uh, consideration, and it's just not allowed and, you know, not appropriate. It's an ethical restriction. We are really, we are really restricted as to what we can discuss and what we can't. And at a time when you have such hotly contested races and such hotly contested issues, and at a time when our country is in the position that it is in right now, people want answers. And um, it's very difficult to convince them that we can't give them those answers. Certainly, because yeah, I can understand uh, everything involved there. Um, moving on a little bit, just for those of our listeners who may not uh, be fully uh, aware of the daily process or, or really what it is to uh, be an appellate court justice, we'll just take a few minutes to talk a little bit about the appellate court. Also want to open up for callers at this time. If you would like to call in and have any questions for Justice Shostak or Justice Jorgensen, um, and again, um, those questions are must be tailored um, and are not opinion-based, our telephone number to call in is area code 917-889-9732. Again, area code 917-889-9732, and you can press 1 to be placed in the queue. Also, if you have an email question, feel free to email info, I-N-F-O, at A-L-R-P-R-A.com, A-L-R-P-R-A.com. Um, so, very uh, quickly, can you tell us a little bit, uh, either one of you, about um, our appellate court system in Illinois and uh, how it works, what the breakdown is? You know, state, I'm sure we have several appellate courts in Illinois. Um, tell us a little bit about yours. I'll start, and then um, I'll let Ann pick up. In Illinois, we have five separate appellate court districts, Cook County being the first. Um, the, the seat that Ann and I are running for is the second appellate district. And the second appellate district I'll talk about runs from Lake Michigan to the Mississippi River. So it's the top 13 northern, the top northern part of the state, 13 counties at the top part of the state, excluding Cook County. Um, there's a third appellate district which uh, sits in Ottawa. The fourth sits in Springfield, and the fifth is in Mount Vernon. So each of those appellate districts cover several counties. As I said, we cover 13. Um, we each, there are nine appellate court justices on our appellate court in the second. Six of us are elected. Three are assigned there. And they were permitted to be assigned there by the Constitution, the Illinois Constitution. If the uh, caseload gets such that we need extra help, the Supreme Court can appoint um, three additional judges to the appellate court to help with the caseload. Um, this also gives the Supreme Court an opportunity to appoint judges who maybe would not otherwise be able to be elected because their, their counties may be so small. For instance, we have a judge on our appellate court assigned from Kane County and one assigned from Winnebago County. The six of us that have to run, um, there are six of us that have to run. Ann and I are now running. So actually, the voters are going to decide one-third of the appellate court when they uh, vote um, on Tuesday. So we have nine on our court, six are uh, elected, three are assigned. We convene court. When we have court, we convene court in Elgin. That's where we sit. You know, I told you the other ones are in Cook County, Mount Vernon. That's where they sit. We sit in Elgin. But on a daily basis when we do our work, we each have our chambers in and around the town in which we live. 
My chambers is in, uh, my office is in Libertyville, Anne's is in Wheaton, and the other appellate court justices have their chambers where, wherever they're from. Um, and that's a little bit about the demographics of our appellate court system in Illinois. I'll let Anne take over. Well, there's the other half of the appellate court, if you will, that's also located in Elgin. We have our own clerk's office. And uh, the clerk of the appellate court, it is his job to, with his staff, of course, to monitor and, and um, file every piece of paper that, that comes into our possession as a result of an appeal. From the notice of appeal that's sent up to all the records, um, exhibits from the trial, if we choose to ask for them from the local clerk's office where the trial took place, uh, they keep and, and protect all of the transcripts all of the documents that are attached to pleadings, you know, maybe the original contract or the promissory note or whatever it might be that relates to that file. We also have a staff of attorneys that assist us in the research and drafting uh, of our decisions. And those eight attorneys, together with the research director, that is who supervises them, is also located in, um, in our Elgin court facility. Because And we, none of us, have an office there. We have one big conference room that we use collectively when we go there, either for meetings. It gives us a place to talk about the cases um, as we hear them when the three-member panel uh, is in Elgin for an oral argument. I think it's important that our um, viewers or listeners understand the difference, the basic difference between what they see on TV or a trial that they may have experienced and an appeal. When you go to court, you bring witnesses, you bring exhibits. Both sides have a chance to tell their story. And then the judge makes a decision based on the law, applying the law to the evidence, and, and reaches a conclusion. In the appellate court, we simply review what has already happened. If you can picture that the appellate record is a closed box, and what's in that is everything that was put into the box during the trial. We get that record. We open the box and look at everything that's in there and decide, was there a mistake made in this process or in this trial, in this hearing? Did the judge make a mistake? Did one of the attorneys make a mistake? Was there something else that affected the outcome of the trial? Because, of course, you can have mistakes that really had no impact. But the question is, was there a mistake? Did it impact the outcome? And if so, the answer to both of those questions is yes then we'll make some modification of the judgment. That could be as dramatic as reversing the whole thing to send it back for another trial, or something more minor like adjusting the dollar amount of a judgment or some other aspect of the decision of the trial judge. And we are limited to what's in that box. When you come to the appellate court, we don't hear witnesses. We don't see witnesses. We just hear argument from the lawyers on the briefs that they've submitted to us, and those briefs are limited to what occurred at the trial court level. So we are truly a court of review. And um, Ann and I both say all the time that we are the court of first review and we're often the court of final review because every case that comes to us, um, we hear and we review every case that comes to us. We don't have a choice as long as there's jurisdiction. The Supreme Court only takes about 5% of the cases that we have already reviewed. So oftentimes we're the first court of first review and the court of final review. So then to all, all our attorney listeners out there, um, even though sometimes it may seem arduous to build a record, 
and uh, t there's certain times maybe, uh, you know, in court or at a deposition where uh, you're just reading a pre-written statement and uh, people are giving you giving you the, the look of, come on, let's get going mm -hmm. here, but, um, you know, and, but really to preserve, to preserve your case and, and zealously represent your client, um, it really seems so important to build that record so that our appellate court justices have, a, uh, you know, a, a box before them, you know, so to speak, that has all the information in it. It is extremely important to make Certainly. your record. Right. Well, and they, the downside for the person that doesn't make the record is that if you try to raise an issue on the appeal that was not fully uh, fleshed out on the trial level, you know, we'll really have no choice but to consider that that issue is waived or forfeited because there's not a record upon which we can conclude sure. whether there was error and certainly not whether that error affected the outcome of the trial. So it's very important that uh, lawyers uh, and somebody who represents themselves fully raise all of their issues in the trial level and that the judge make a ruling on all of those issues so that there is a clear and final disposition of all issues raised. So counsel, don't, uh, you know, fear not, build your record. Correct. Right. Um, moving on, I just wanted to ask uh, another question. What is a day in the life like at the appellate court as opposed to being at state court level? Um, obviously you have different offices and uh, there are different settings involved, but um, how do you find the differences? Well, you know, at the appellate court, when you're in your office, and I, I think we failed to mention this, but we have three law clerks that work with us in our office. Just as Ann mentioned, the law clerks that we have down in Elgin, we have three in our office that assist us in research and writing um, our opinions. Um, when we go to Elgin, we go down there for one of two reasons, either for um, a conference where we meet with every one of the appellate court justices, so all nine of us convene and meet for administrative reasons, um, to discuss the court business, et cetera. Or we can go down there, and which we frequently do, for oral arguments. And that's when we go down there and sit in panels of three. The lawyers appear before us, and they argue their case. It's a, it's a lot different than the trial court, Nick. It's, um, sometimes it can be very lonely as opposed to the trial court. When you're sitting on the bench in the trial court and you take the bench in the morning at 9 o'clock and you might not get off the bench until 3 or 4 in the afternoon and there are people coming before you all day and the issues are changing and the, the issues are coming at you kind of fast and furious and you have to make decisions in a split second um, and you have a, a lot of other judges around you all day, you have a lot more camaraderie, you have other judges to bounce things off of, it's a little different on the appellate court because you're in an office you're by yourself, or you're on the bench with three um, or two other judges. At the appellate court, we have a lot of time to research, to write, to uh, look at the record. It's, a very, it's much more academic than you were at the trial court level. So the differences are great. I mean, it's a great job. I love it. It's wonderful, but it is much different than the trial court level. But I think it's extremely important to have that background as a trial court judge because then when you get on the appellate court, you don't forget what it was like to be in the trenches Certainly. and to get those, those, those questions coming at you and those issues coming at you fast and furious. So it helps you, I think, be a much better appellate court justice. I think the other side of that, too, is that um, if you have been in many different kinds of, tra of trial courts, the high-volume traffic courts, 
high volume small claims or arbitration call, as well as the very complex civil litigation and, of course, the, the very sophisticated criminal litigation and divorce cases, is that you appreciate the ripple effect of the decisions that you make. You know, when we make a decision, it clearly affects the two people that appear in front of us. But if that decision is published, that will influence future lawyers, future cases, and guide trial judges in the future as they make decisions on the case. So you have to appreciate the context in which you make that decision and how that will affect the operations of uh, different courts. And as we've, we've talked about, the 13 counties across the northern end of the state dramatically different court systems Certainly. in the second district. Mm -hmm. sure. As you know, DuPage County, we have 43 judges. Joe Davies County has two. Two judges hear everything. DuPage, Lake County, we're very specialized. We have the luxury as a judge of just hearing law cases, just hearing DUI, just doing divorce. Whereas you get out, out west in Stevenson, Carroll, Lee, and Ogle, those judges hear a wide variety of types of cases. And when we change or modify a procedure as a result of a decision we've made, to appreciate how that's going to impact uh, courtroom procedure. Certainly. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about the uh, difference between the February primary election and the general election? Um, also want to, you know, by way of explanation, the justices are not giving legal advice today or uh, election law advice or information, but just as a, for, for the voters out there, um, if you could just tell us a little bit about the two, uh, the primary and then the general, so we know. Well, in February, February 2nd is the primary election, and that's where the voters in Illinois have to pull a ballot whether it's, it's going to be either a Republican ballot or a Democrat ballot. And that's where you vote for your candidate, either Republican or Democrat. Whoever wins the primary in February as a Republican, um, they get on the ballot in November, and whoever wins as a Democrat gets on the ballot in November. Ann and I don't have a uh, general election. In other words, our only opponents are Republicans, so we are opposed on the primary ballot only. In, in, in a judicial race, if you haven't filed by November 1st to be on the February ballot, either as a Democrat or Republican, you cannot file later. So in other words, okay. you know, in, in most races you can, I think they call it caucus, or um, you can get on it on the ballot later. In a judicial race, everybody has to file at the exact same time. So neither of us will have an opponent in the November election. So February is our election. In uh, November, when our names appear on the ballot, it'll only be us. You have a lot of judicial races out there this time that are also extremely important at the trial court level that do have primary and and um, general um, opposition. So now the early vote. Oh, go ahead. What, what Mary means is that um, there are we are each running for the seats as we've indicated before, and we each have an opponent. Whoever wins that primary would then be on the, the November ballot. Without an opponent. Without an opponent, right. And other races, you'll see where the same vacancy, a, uh, one or more Republicans has filed, and one or more Democrats has filed, and then they face off in the general election. And in the general election, behind your name will be an R or a D or whatever other party affiliation you've um, indicated in your petitions and the primary ballot that you chose to run on. 
But I think it's important that the, 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 uh, your listeners not confuse that with what's called a retention vote for judges. In the November ballot, there will be a number of contested judicial elections where there's a Republican, a Democrat, and perhaps a third-party candidate running. But there will also be, at the very end of the ballot, questions that will say, should Judge Smith or Judge Jones be retained, right. yes or no? And Judge Smith or Judge Jones will not have an RD or other indication by their name because retention is nonpartisan. But the election portion of our uh, selection of judges is a partisan process. I understand. And, and those retention judges need to have a 60% yes vote in order to stay on the ballot. 60%. Now, are there any other percentages that play? Um, 51% to win. Yes. <laughs> there you go. In the general election <laughs> and the primary. <laughs> now, the primary, uh, the, we, have, we have early voting here in Illinois. Um, can you talk a little bit about early voting um, and why it's important? Well, early voting, actually, and today, today is uh, January 28th. And early voting ends today. Um, the various places, at least in DuPage County, have uh, a variety of different closing times. Um, but early voting went from January 11th until today. And it gave a voter an opportunity to go to a particular place, I believe there were 12 or 13 locations in DuPage County, where you voted just as you would had you gone to the polls. In addition to that, there is an, ex uh, an expansion of absentee voting that um, allows your ballot, I believe, to be uh, mailed, mailed and as long as it's postmarked by uh, Election Day, it can be counted. It's Obviously, you know, the Election Commission will begin to count votes uh, when the polls close on Election Day, but in the event that elections are too close to call, those absentee ballots become very important. Ultimately, they're all counted, but... Um, I, think, I think that it's... It, that the... Um, clerks and the state has made it extremely easy to vote. There should be no reason why right. someone should not cast a ballot. Now, I, another thing that is, uh, that is good to know is that uh, the early voting uh, polling places are available on the websites. Correct. Um, let me really quick... Uh, you can go to DuPage County and then click onto the Election Commission, or you can go to Lake County, McHenry County. Or you, could, or you can go to our website. My website is www.justicemary.com, and I have the polling um, information on my website as well. And my website is uh, www.annjorgensen.com. And that's Jorgensen with an E-N. S-E-N, yes. S-E-N. My, um, my, well... My, my my uncle who was on the bench was a Jansen S E N and for some reason they always had to that it rings a bell because we always said S E N I don't know how Jansen would otherwise be spelled but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know um, so again uh, so early voting uh, will be ending today there are still several uh, early voting locations that are out there here in DuPage County Illinois who are taking taking votes um, and then as far as voting uh, in the, on the primary date itself, what, please tell us again when that date is and where people can vote and what they need to do. February 2nd. Again, you're restricted to where you can vote on voting day. You have to go to your polling place. And again, you can go to the website um, of each clerk. Since we are in 13 counties, there are 13 different clerks, and you can find out from your clerk's office where your voting location is. And you vote on February 2nd, and I think the polls open at 5, 6, I think it's 6 until 7 p.m. 
Okay. So, and again, uh, I, I appreciate that you both had an opportunity today to discuss why the uh, February primary is such an important uh, vote for, for this coming election for you both. Could you tell our uh, visitors uh, again a little bit why just, I know you explained already, but to the extent someone uh, might benefit from hearing it again, it's important to vote in the, in the early February primary because... Well, I think it's important that you, um, as a voter, become educated as to who the candidates are for the judicial offices, whether it's appellate or your circuit judges and that you educate yourself. And uh, so many times people say, gee, where do we learn? And some of the things we've talked about that I think are important are as follows. First, Mary and I indicated we were appointed by the Illinois Supreme Court. You know, these are judges, our Supreme Court, they are all elected, they are representative of the people that we will then serve, and they unanimously uh, selected Mary and I. Uh, they could have picked any lawyer, any judge in the district, and they picked Mary and I. So I think that's one thing that a voter can look at. I think it's important to look at the judicial advisory polls that we talked about, things that measure whether you meet the requirements for office, whether you have integrity, whether you are impartial, whether you have good management skills and case management skills. And as I indicated, Mary and I scored in the high 90s in all of those um, categories. And finally, the ultimate recommendations or determinations of the Judicial Evaluation Committees of the DuPage County Bar and the Illinois State Bar, both finding us not only just recommended and qualified, but highly recommended and highly qualified. And the third area I would tell people to look is to call a lawyer that you know. Call a police officer. Call someone who works in a courthouse, particularly the DuPage County Courthouse for me or the Lake County Courthouse for Mary, and say, what do you know about this judge and her opponent, and what do you think? And I think that people who see us work day in and day out in our courthouses, people who are in the courthouse every day, they know who works, who doesn't work hard. They know who does a good job and who may not do quite as good a job. And I think they're very candid at telling you exactly what they think. And so I would urge voters, look at our websites, look to the bar associations, and reach out to people who um, appear in front of judges or work in the courthouse for their opinion. You know, also, Nick, uh, let's not forget the newspaper endorsements. And Ann and I were both endorsed by the Chicago Tribune, who said glowing uh, things about us in the, in the paper. And I think that's extremely important. Um, I, I was speaking one night, and I said to the individuals whom I was who I was speaking to, I said, you know, this election is extremely important because our term is a 10-year term. 10 years is a long time to have a judge on the bench who is not qualified to be there. And one guy said, wait a minute, one day is too long to have a judge on the bench who shouldn't be there. I'll agree with that. Absolutely, and, and you know that as a, as a lawyer. So um, it's, it is extremely important to look at this race, a 10-year term, and to educate yourself as a voter and to make the right decision because 10 years um, is a long time. Certainly. Um, is there anything else that we did not cover today, any questions that I did not ask you, anything at all um, that uh, either uh, Justice Ann Jorgensen or Justice Mary Shostak would like to add um, at the end of our program here before we sign off? No, you know, I just think that it's, uh, it's a pleasure to, to be here and to have an opportunity to tell your listeners how critically important uh, becoming an educated voter really is and to acquaint them a little bit with the tremendous impact that judges have on people's lives and the future of our law that will, will guide future 
um, decisions in our trial and our appellate courts. Thank you. Thank you, Nick, and I appreciate the time you've given us to educate um, your listeners, and I, and I want to thank the listeners for being interested enough in our race to sit and listen today. Um, let's not forget to vote on February 2nd, and don't forget to vote for Justice Ann Jorgensen and Justice Mary Shostak. Well, thank you both for uh, coming and being here today. Um, and thank you again to all of our listeners who tune in either for the live broadcast or at a later date. And we also appreciate that you share these broadcasts with the other busy attorneys out there that may uh, be otherwise tied up and not able to listen in live. Again, we do take callers, and we appreciate uh, those who call in during our shows as well. Uh, thank you again to our guests, Justice Mary Shostak and Justice Ann Jorgensen. Um, thank you again also for turning in to ALL, ALRPRA Weekly Law Practice Management Radio. ALRPRA Incorporated's mission is to provide solutions, allowing you to spend more time practicing law, less time managing the business of law. Our mission's underlying values are transparency, flexibility, and humility. We are a full-service law practice management agency available nationwide when quality matters to your production and promotion. Thank you again, and have a nice day.